We're in Brixham, the seaside town on the south coast of Devon. And we're standing in the harbour watching the gulls feasting on the fish. And the boats are surrounding us here and it's a beautiful sunny day. This used to be divided into two communities. Cowtown up the hill where all the farming people lived and Fishtown down here where the fisher folk lived. And it's also famous for its annual pirate festival when the whole town fills up with people dressed as pirates. Fortunately, we've missed that. But we are going to meet a swashbuckling guitar player, singer and songwriter who grew up here in Brixham. The first thing you notice about John Smith is his beard and his swept-up hairdo. The second is his sheer brilliance as a guitarist, a talent which has made him much in demand as a collaborator from leading artists like David Gray, Leanne Le Havas and Joan Baez, to name but a few. The third thing you notice is his distinctive voice, once described as honey on gravel. And the fourth is the haunting, beautiful songwriting that he produces. John grew up here in Brixham and he's back here today to show us some of his old haunts. John, how are you? to see you. Good to see you. Thanks very much for coming to meet us. Pleasure. Is it your first time here? It's my first time in Brixham, definitely, yeah. yeah. Come June, July, August, this place will be easy. You'll barely be able to move on the harbour. So you grew up here. You came here when you were four, I think. Yeah, Is that right? That's right, yeah. I was well, born 200 miles east of here in Essex. And when I was six months old, my dad moved us all to St Albans, where we spent the next four years, and we moved here. Dad moved his business down to Devon. What was his business? He was in the record business. Ah. He was a classical records man. So um, he used to buy and sell them? Yeah. He got Naxos started in the UK. Right. A very famous label. Yeah. And then he, well, living down here was a strange one. He got done over by his partner, his business partner, and then found himself 200 miles from London massively overqualified so there's no record business in Brixham no so he sort of went through a few different jobs and a few career twists ended up running taxis in Brixham and then he retired a few years back moved to Spain so what are your earliest memories of being here this actually the harbour the harbour and Berry Head where we I think we're going to walk up that way my first memory is when I was four or five we had this shih tzu and the first time she saw a cow pat, you know, not living in a city, she just stuck her whole head in it. <laughs> and I remember my mum laughing and my dad swearing very loudly and, and floridly. Because of course he had to he had to clean Clear up, up the dog while my mum rolled around laughing. <laughs> so that was a sort of visceral introduction to country living. <laughs> but, but hanging out here at the harbour was something you did as a kid, was it? Always, yeah. Up ahead there you can see the breakwater. And I used to just go out there and you know, in my teens when I started smoking cigarettes, that was where I used to go and sit and smoke. And I'd walk along here with my headphones on, you know, feeling a little bit like an outsider in this, uh, in this little seaside What were you listening town. to on those headphones? Well, I've got an older brother, fortunately. So when I was 13, 14, I was listening to a tribe called Quest and Led Zeppelin and discovering things like Metallica. So I had always had a really good feel for 
proper music. And, and <laughs> did your dad bring lots of music into the house as well? Were you listening yeah. to classical music? Yeah, his classical collection is massive. I really remember Beethoven and my dad just sort of putting Beethoven on and then the house becoming really calm. But he was also really into the blues, my dad. And, you know, he sat, he'd sit me down and play me Led Zeppelin records. That's part of any child's education, isn't it? Yeah. An essential so. part. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, of course, I discovered folk music when I was about 16, 17. Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, my dad again, really. Give me a cassette of Bert and John. Bert Jansch and yeah, John Renborn. Yeah, their duets album. I mean, two of the great guitar players. Absolutely. Yeah. And was that what sparked your interest in the acoustic guitar? Well, I was already playing, actually. I'd been playing then for about five years. I was completely obsessive about the guitar. I played every day, all the time. And did your dad give you your first guitar? He did, yeah. Right, what do you remember what it was? It was a Red Squire Stratocaster. Right. Yeah, because I started being really into Clapton and Muddy Waters, and all I wanted to do was play the blues. But then, when I discovered this acoustic guitar music, I think I got a Yamaha acoustic that was about 100 quid, and that was it. I started detuning it and messing around, and... I could already play all of Eric Clapton Unplugged, so the time was right to, <laughs> to, to start learning about Nick Drake, you know. And was it the intricacies of the folk guitar that, that struck a chord with you, if you'll excuse yeah. the expression? <laughs> Ka-ching! Uh, yeah, it was, actually. I, Nick Drake really struck me because, and this was my brother who got me into Nick Drake when I was about 16, 17. It was how you can do so much with three chords. And I already had a sense of that from listening to the blues, but... Nick Drake just entered a whole different kind of complexity with very simple ideas but an awful lot going on in his hands and that blew my mind. So I spent my whole summer holiday when I was 16. I lived in a house, if you go, actually, yeah, that stair, set of steps over there, we're on the marina now, yeah. you go up the set of steps over there to the top, that's where our house was, I had the attic bedroom. I'd look out over the bay to Torquay opposite I had Nick Drake on a cassette, so I was forever rewinding and then just trying to transcribe guitar parts. And that's all I did all summer. I never left the house. Really? It was one of the hottest summers as well, in, you know, at that time in recent history. And I just opened all the windows and transcribed Nick Drake all day until, until I could play it, you know. I was just obsessed. There's a certain obsessive nature about that, isn't there? Absolutely, man. I think when you love something, you, you have to give time to it don't you yes yeah. yeah and so did you perform in public at that time were you taking those nick drake songs out anywhere or were you just keeping them in your bedroom myself and about three friends were in a quote unquote band i remember there was an estate agent in totnes that endorsed us for whatever reason they sponsored you yeah kind of yeah they they just let us busk outside their shop i mean looking back on it it was just a clever bit of marketing supporting a local band but you know, for us, it was like, yeah, we've got a gig. So we'd busk outside this estate agent and maybe make a fiver, you know. Right. And you could buy four pints with a fiver in Totnes. Yeah, it was I, a, a king's was, ransom. When I was 16, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was brilliant, right. And there was a pub nearby that we could go drinking in. So, yeah, we, had, we were just having a great time. Very early lesson in rock and roll economics. <laughs> and we're walking towards the breakwater yeah. now, aren't we? Which yeah, is yeah. this great big arm that yeah. goes out that that's, uh, presumably protects the harbour. Oh, yeah, yeah um, it's amazing, isn't it? And this is where you came to smoke fags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever sung on here? Well, not that I remember. Would you um, sing on here for us? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, that would be great, because I wanted to <laughs> ask you about a song called Salty and Sweet. Yes, yeah. Which I think was inspired 
by somebody you knew here, wasn't it? Sort of, yeah. I'd heard, you know, that someone had gone out and drowned themselves one day. But also just writing, thinking about Brixham, thinking about where I grew up and wanting to sort of capture some of that sea air in a song. So I wrote a song about about a girl who lives in a little town like this and wants something different and then she finds a means of escape right down on the beach. Well, the means of escape is going into the sea, isn't it? Well, she, no, she meets a, a merman. Uh-huh. She falls in love with him. And he, <laughs> he takes her off to live in, in his... Uh, in his salt paradise <laughs> but maybe it's a metaphor you know I, I don't I don't like to lay things out too much I like it's nice for people to be able to interpret it some people have said that's such a sad song and other people love it because it's got a happy melody yes you know it's, well that's that was I read the lyrics only after I'd heard the melody if you see what I mean and I thought well that's a jolly song and then yeah. I read the lyrics and I thought this is a bit more ambiguous than I'd originally considered well, that's how I like to do it you know trick people into thinking they're having a good time <laughs> actually they're just listening to really dark folk music <laughs> I'm a fishing girl and a lonely girl the town in which I live is breaking water I told my mother my violent brother all they give to me reason to leave imagine my surprise a pair of ancient eyes set into a face as old as land he stands in front of me he came out of the sea he said it hurts his skin touch the sand he crawls back into the sea the air is salty and sweet a backward glance by way of invitation I'm in now up to my knees the air is salty and sweet I'll leave my dress by way of explanation My man don't care for clothes The things he does not own Never trouble him Don't give him grief He's as soft as silk He's as pure as baby's milk Higher than the earth But he's so scorned He crawls back into the sea The air is salty and sweet A backward glance by way Of invitation I'm in now up to my knees The air is salty and sweet I'll leave my dress by way Of explanation
Thank you. Yeah. That's the first time you've ever played it with a water skier going past behind you. <laughs> That's I knew beautiful. there was something special going on. <laughs> and all the passers-by stopping to see what you were doing here yeah, on, the, yeah. on the breakwater. Fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. That's really nice. Where are we going to go now? I think we'll walk along the beach, up the steps, onto Berryhead. That would be marvellous. I bet there's a magnificent view up there, isn't there? One of the best in the world. The water looks good, doesn't it? It does look very inviting. It's really pale, pale green at the edge here, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's magic. But the problem is it's all stones underneath. And you, you get... the trunks. <laughs> <laughs> Were you dreaming of leaving here? Because it's a small town. Yeah. I wondered if you felt claustrophobic here or you, you thought you needed to move somewhere else. Absolutely, yeah. By the time I was 15, 16, I was desperate to leave. Because I, I hated school. I didn't get on, really. I didn't really have much of an attention span. I was always daydreaming. I liked drawing. So I didn't get on with the teachers. And then I didn't like the kids because I, I liked drawing and music. And they were all sort of into sports and, you know. So I got picked on and I just I just hated it. I wanted you to get away. You felt like an outsider in, in school. I did until I went to college in Newton Abbott, like 10 miles away. And then I started meeting people who were into playing guitar and you know, hanging around and reading poetry and smoking. And I thought, oh, this is great, I've arrived. <laughs> so that was sort of the tangent that um, shaped the rest of my life, really. Well, it's an interesting thing that you may have not paid attention much at school, but when you found something that you were passionate about, like Nick Drake, you yeah. paid a hell of a lot of attention. Yeah, exactly. You know, you were exactly. right in there, weren't you? Yeah, completely, yeah. Yeah, but I never got the grades for anything, really. I did terribly in school. Right. And then when I got to sixth form, I did terribly. When I was 17, I got really sick. I had meningitis. And that took me out for a year, basically, wiped me out. It's funny, I woke up one day feeling poorly, and that night I was in a coma. And then three days later I came to, and then two weeks later I turned 18, and then I spent the next six months recovering. So were you confined to a bed, or were you up part and about? Of it, yeah, or? yeah, yeah, for part of That's it. That's a really shocking thing to go through, isn't it? Yeah, it was heavy, yeah. I, you know, I went from being a sort of lanky, really happy 17-year-old to a, having to eat a lot to... Because, you know, that stuff messes with your thyroid and your metabolism. The whole thing goes out the window. So I had to eat a lot to maintain any kind of energy. And then I was dealing with sort of, I suppose, PTSD, but in Brixham and, you know, the turn of this century, Nobody no one knew what, knew what that, that was. was. No yeah. one talked about therapy. So I was just sort of dealing with it. And did yeah. it have any effect on you psychologically in the way of confronting your own weakness and your own mortality I suppose yeah certainly it helped inform that through my life the immediate thing was that because I decided I wanted to act I went and joined the National Youth Theatre and I thought this is it I'm going to be an actor and then I pretty quickly learned that the intensity of a theatre company wasn't for me the thing of of being around people really closely and everyone knowing each other's business I found completely overwhelming sort of claustrophobic claustrophobic yeah exactly so then I kind of thought well what do I want to do so I turned down my place to study theatre had a place a really good theatre school turned it down and I thought I just want to play music and then I thought well I can't get into music college because I haven't got any grades you know the grades had really suffered because of the uh, the illness you know so I went and auditioned for the Liverpool Institute and I got a place it was weird. on the strength of the quality of your playing yeah and I wrote some songs and I went and played them to the people and they let me in and so I got in and then I moved to Liverpool, so I finally escaped Brixham when I was 19. <laughs> How did that feel? It felt great. <laughs> yeah, and, I was, and I was fit then as well. I was recovered. Right. I just 
my dad drove me up there, said goodbye, and that was it. Stayed in Liverpool till I was 30. Wow. Yeah. But just, just to focus back on, on Brixham for a second. Sure. I mean, w- what effect do you think it has on your character that you grew up in a place like this? Because it's, you know, it's a seaside town, mm. it's a fishing and farming community. Mm. Do you think that coming from a place like that shapes you in some way? Yeah, I suppose so. Interesting what you say about the fishing and farming. So from here and that way is Fishtown. And over there on the hill and beyond is Cowtown. Oh, right. And we always lived in Fishtown. So I always... Was, was there a rivalry between the two or a split? Well, only, Ca- New, only Cowtown New was where Eve, the farmers lived. On New yeah, Year's the, Eve. the boys would all beat each other up, but I'd stay out of that. So <laughs> I just sort of... We lived on the cliff side and I would always look out to sea. So even though we were living in a essentially a claustrophobic little town, which has actually you know, it's become a lot nicer in recent years. Back then it was pretty rough. I always had this big horizon, you know, you look out, you can see miles and miles out. And that, I don't know, that was very informative for me, I suppose, always knowing that there's something out there. So we, we got you to Liverpool. I want to just understand a little bit more about folk music, though, and why folk music struck you so powerfully. Traditional music, it really does move me because it's storytelling and it resonates down through the centuries. But, of course, there's a lot of it that I don't really care for. And a lot of the time, you know, I can hear a folk song and just not get it at all. But I think that's like any song. I love pop music, but half of it doesn't speak to me at all. So it's... But you went back to the folk tradition for your latest album, didn't you? I did, You recorded yeah. six traditional songs, which I think lots of them have been part of your repertoire yeah. live, haven't they? I've always played Lord Franklin. I love songs about the sea, as you, know, as you can tell. And there are a few others, like Master Kilby, that I first came across in Liverpool, actually, and then started playing it immediately. So I was already playing that for about ten years. And then a few others that my producer, Sam Lakeman introduced me to you know I'd never heard Hairs on the Mountain until we started talking about this record and he just played me a couple of versions of that song and I couldn't shake it I had to learn that's it. a song from Somerset yeah. where you now live apparently, you live yeah. in Froome now don't you yeah Cecil Sharp found that song in Somerset apparently and why did you react to that song do you think because it's a strange little pagan metaphor you know shape-shifting and if all the girls were hairs on the mountain. Yeah. If all the men were hairs on the mountain. Yeah. How many young girls would take guns and go hunting? It's beautiful. <laughs> and it's really, you know, it's sweet, but it's dark too. Yeah, it just completely speaks to me, that song. I really like it. And it's a lovely melody. And all of the folk songs, bar one, are in dadgad tuning. And that song, this is one for the guitar geeks out there, is played in A minor shapes in dadgad. And that's a really interesting mode on the guitar because you, you've got all these weird hanging notes weird sustained chords that are very easy to reach and the song kind of plays itself Sally my darling I wish I could wed you Sally my darling I wish I could wed you She smiled and replied then you'd say I misled you Young girls could sing like blackbirds and thrushes. If young 
girls could sing like blackbirds and thrushes. How many young men will go beating the bushes? and not go up some steep steps. <laughs> Plenty and of them, aren't there? These are the smallest set of steps out of millions of them. Well, you know what happened to me when I went with the fisherman's friends in Port Isaac? <laughs> they said, we'll take you up the cliff, but only if you carry the guitar. So when I was but a nipper, I would climb over on those rocks and occasionally cut my feet up and then get stuck. Because <laughs> have to be rescued. Yeah, my dad would have to come and get me, and he hates the beach. But you know, he'd bring me down because he he would sit on the breakwater and fish for mackerel, which he'd then smoke and turn into pate that evening, which was you know 
stunning. And I would come over here and climb on there, start cutting my feet up, and then go, Dad! And he'd have to come over and get <laughs> come me. Come a long way around. Yeah. <laughs> get down the fishing rod and rescue me. And here are some very steep steps going up the cliff. They're uneven as well. It says uneven. There's a sign to let us know that they're uneven, which is very kind of the local council. Right, this is an unusually dodgy step. <laughs> step that out. Thank you. Did you swim in the sea? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been stung by every manner of seaborne critter <laughs> that comes to these parts. Jellyfish, weaver fish once. Got weaver by, fish? Yeah, got stung by weaver fish on the foot. I don't know how that happened. So we're just going to go down the road here yeah. at the top of the steps. In my teens, I worked at the hotel at the end of this road, pulling pints and whatnot. So I've walked along this road every day and then back <laughs> every night. And I haven't walked down here since. Were you a good barman? I was an excellent barman, yeah, but I was a terrible staff member. Why? I think I have a problem with authority, Matthew. <laughs> no, you surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I hate being told what to do, always have. And I've been either fired or enthusiastically let go of most jobs. What, Apart sort of, what other jobs have you done? Well, when I was in uni, to support myself, I was a barman. I was a car park attendant, I worked in an Indian supermarket. My favourite job was in a comic book shop, because I love comic books. So I worked in a Forbidden Planet, and... Uh, well, that must have been like heaven, wasn't it? It was heaven. And you know what, the guys there were really nice. Not a trace of authority about them, they were just comic book geeks who enjoyed hanging out and occasionally stacking shelves. Do you have so, favourite comic books? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a terrible nerd for Batman. Right. I love it. And I, I got my daughter a Batman costume, which she loves. <laughs> you know? Hang on a second, so we're going past. Somebody's cutting the hedge. So I'm picturing a big pile of Batman comics at home, is that yeah, right? Yeah, she's got a pretty good inheritance in Batman comics, if nothing else. How many have you got? Oh, I used to have thousands, but I've moved house, I think, 27 times at the last count. So you have to let go of things and comic books and vinyl are the, are the heaviest so now my collections of each are fairly fairly thin we lived in two different houses on this terrace actually so this one here yeah if you look up where the scaffolding is there in that house that's where I would have looked out the window across the bay and with Nick Drake playing in the background <laughs> yeah how does it feel to be back here it feels really strange actually when I left here I was sick of it and now I'm back and I'm thinking, oh, this, this is quite nice. It'd be quite nice to live here. It's funny, isn't it? Place can really just bring it all up. Yeah. So three doors down, we lived in that house as well. So did you move quite a lot around the town? Yeah, we lived in seven different houses in Brixham. Right. We just kept moving. Why was that? I think, you know, at one point we didn't have any money, so we just had to, had to keep moving. And then I think we moved in that house. Things started going well again. We liked that house. The and next then, one down. Yeah, and then I think my dad liked the one three doors down even more. So he sold that one and got that one. <laughs> and then that's just stayed with me. I, you know, I lived in ten different places in Liverpool, three different places in Brighton. You know, we just... So you like to keep moving, do you? Yeah. You know, so many people have this connection to a place, like they're from somewhere, and they're still there and they know what it is, and through that they know a bit about who they are. And I don't have that. I sort of envy it. I can't really imagine it. And you said about the vinyl collection. Is that still quite substantial, or have you had to do the Marie Kondo? Have you had to go through it and see which records spark joy? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I think if you're going to own a record, it should spark something. <laughs> I'm forever going through and just getting rid of stuff. I do that with everything I own. I, my aim is to own as little as possible, really. A minimalist life? Yeah. Right. I'm always kind of shooting for that. Right. I'm the same with the way I make records these days. You know, I, if it doesn't need to be on there, I chop it off. So I just saw that we passed a sign that said Berry Head, 400 million years in the making. Am I wrong in thinking this might be part of the Jurassic Coast? From what I recall of my days reading dinosaur books, the Jurassic era passed more recently than that. I think this is older. And Brixham itself is the site of lots of interesting discoveries. Like they found a saber-toothed tiger in the cavern underneath our house. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you were excited about that, weren't you? A few years before we landed in Brixham, they'd excavated a full saber-toothed tiger skull. Wow, that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it'd been trapped in there for millions and millions of years. That's amazing. And it's a very historic place, isn't it? Because I, I was just seeing a sign in the harbour that said that this is where William III landed for the first time. Right, yeah. When he came to restore Protestantism in, in England. And they've erected a nice big statue of him. The Brixham Harbour has had quite a bit of history. The Golden Hind is there. Francis Drake's ship, right? Well, it's the ship that he went round the world in. One of only two replicas in the UK. Right. Um, Getting educated on my hometown here, <laughs> So this is the walk I always did whenever I had to clear my head, especially after I got sick and I was recuperating and really needed time to think things through. I'd come up here, I'd turn right, I'd go up that hill onto the, uh, the really sort of high plane of Berry Head. So why don't I take you up there? Let's keep going up there, yeah. yeah. You mentioned that you've got a young family. Yeah. How do you manage to fit in work, and writing in particular, with the pressures of being at home with a young family? Yeah, I don't really know. I'm still figuring it out. I try and be present wherever I am. That's the one focal point really if I'm on stage I'll, I'll just try to be there with every ounce of my being if I'm at home with my wife and daughter I'll try and do the same because otherwise you it's really easy to get distracted and then you get depressed and start beating yourself up do you have to go away somewhere to write or can you write on the road no I just wait till I get home and then I compile everything that I've written on the road sometimes if I'm at home it will just fall out of me like hummingbird I wrote at home, it took 20 minutes. But that's quite rare. 20 and, minutes? Yeah. That's amazing. So had you no. had it going around in your head before it all no. came out, or you just suddenly... I, just, I put the antenna up and, and caught it. Sometimes that happens. It's, I can't explain it, and I don't really have a method for songwriting. I haven't been trained in any way. I don't, really, I don't really understand it. It's just sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And why do you think that one came out like that? Well... That song is a little bit about my parents, it's a little bit about me, a little bit about an ex-girlfriend. I suppose it's all, it'd all been there in some shape or form, and that was the time to write it down. So we're going to cross the bridge now? Yeah, and I believe this is a, an old Napoleonic fort. Yeah, there's quite a substantial wall there, isn't there, with the top knocked off it, and some ruins on the right. Yeah, perfect hide-and-seek arena, this. <laughs> we used to come up here and just run around all day. What does it say here? One of two forts constructed at Berryhead between 1795 and 1805 during the wars with France. 
So they were defending Torbay yeah. with cannon up here, presumably. Yeah, and there's still some cannons kicking around up here somewhere. Be a hell of a thing, wouldn't it, approaching this, thinking you can win? <laughs> I mean, it's a very commanding position, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think we could record inside the building? I reckon. A building which has obviously had a, a sloping roof, which has disappeared completely, but very, very powerful stone lintel over the top and thick, thick walls. It must be about a metre thick these walls and then it's lined with brick yeah. inside but it's open now to the elements and there's quite a nice resonance in here John for singing isn't there? There is. When I met her she was just engaged I was only 23 Left right when I said hello pursued her in my dreams when I find the courage to speak more than a word, she's dressed in green and wild as night, all like a hummingbird. She stole my heart some more each day, said you should be mine.
she comes, there she flies. If I could be with her again, I don't know what I would say. I will always know her by her shape. That's a pretty astonishing 20 minutes work. It's an, it's an amazing thing that you say it, it took 20 minutes to just emerge. Can, can you just describe how that happened? I mean, were you fiddling on the guitar and then the words yeah. came into your head or? I really like that chord, which is a, it's a minor six in that tuning. And I just, and, I, and, I, and then it was there and I went, nice and then it started writing it and it happened same thing happened with salty and sweet and another song of mine far too good mm. they all just took a minute and then they were done it's the only only times it's ever happened i must say i was really relieved to hear you say that you've got a happy family now and so on because when i listened to your songs i was really worried about your love life you know <laughs> you, see, you know you write a lot about unrequited love or people that, you, that were lost and things yeah. like that did you have a lot of experiences like that that sure. have inspired those songs yeah yeah i think so you went through a lot of heartbreak yeah yeah certainly before i got married yeah mm. i think i was a sucker for it you know part of me enjoyed it a romantic yeah yeah absolutely and you know falling in love and then being heartbroken doesn't put you off falling in love and being heartbroken again does it it's like this the, one of the best things about being alive and for an artist yeah of course it's a rich seam of material as poets and sure. writers and musicians have have found throughout history haven't they absolutely yeah when you're going through it do you think oh this will be one for a song <laughs> um I remember that once, yeah, and I think my next thought was, well, you can't have been that much in love then, if, you, if, you <laughs> if you're, if you're looking, now. standing back from it. Yeah, and that's where, the, that's where a song can help you recover, because actually it, it shines a, a light on where you actually are. But there's a happy ending now. Yeah, 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 I'm, you know, sort of finding my way around the business of settling down. Just a bit worried you might run out of material, you have to write happy songs <laughs> now. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of Headlong was a lot happier, the, the last record. That was a, more of a record about having a family and, and having a child in particular. Wrote a few songs about that. It felt good, you know? A new place in life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't mean that things don't go wrong sometimes. But I wouldn't want to stay the same way for too long because I, I get bored. I really do. And if I was still living the way that I was in my 20s, you know, I'll be doing my own heading. So <laughs> it's good to move on. 
best view in the whole of England is just up here. What about 100 yards from here? About 100 yards up where that pole is. I mean, England is a beautiful place, but I like this. This is my favourite view. I'm feeling a sense of anticipation now <laughs> as we walk between the gorse bushes towards the edge. Yeah. And I can see the beginnings of the sea coming up. Yeah. And a seagull just lazily drifting past. That's it. It's magic, yeah. isn't it? It's them. just gorgeous. Yeah. On the thermals. Yeah. I can't imagine what it would have been like looking out, you know, at an adversary. Now that we're here and you can see that sort of azure blue. Can't imagine anything more peaceful here. It really is gorgeous, but you can imagine a fleet of Spaniards coming around the corner or French yeah. men of war. Yeah. Would have and the cannons opening up. It would have been a scary place, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. And the cliffs down that side are I'm really fond of. We'll get over there in a second because they're really jagged and foreboding. And then over this way, you've got perfect Devonshire, you know, rolling hills. St Mary's Bay, see where there's a little inlet down there? Yes. Where there's a beach, that's St Mary's Bay. Got stung by a jellyfish there. <laughs> there's a kind of, presumably along the whole coast, yeah. there are small plaques where you say, John it. Smith was stung by a weaver fish here. Yeah, yeah, John exactly. Smith was stung yeah. by a jellyfish here. <laughs> they think, which one? Which John Smith was that? Which, which jellyfish was that? But it, does, it feels quite inviting, that sea, doesn't it? It feels like, although it would be suicide, I'm sure, to dive off this height of cliff absolutely it does feel tempting well there are a few areas where you can jump there's there's a jump not far from here called devil's drop which is about 90 feet that it's all the way down you like you, if you go between the rocks you can land in deep water but i, I wouldn't be doing that these days no it's a good job i left my trunks at home <laughs> i was always interested in how the you see the horizon of the sea almost now in fact it's sort of the horizon is indistinct, it becomes one with the sky and there's a there's a weird magical fold there that is neither sea nor sky. And that's I've always been fascinated by that. I would just come out in here, come out onto these cliffs and look at that all day. You have a song called Save My Life. Yeah. Yeah. Will you tell us about that and then maybe sing it for us here? Yeah, sure. When I was writing songs for Headlong, I came across this one right at the end of the the whole process great thing about working with a producer is they're a great sounding board you know and Sam Lakeman he said take that verse and why don't you make a song of that and it's really nice and I went away and wrestled with it you know for a couple of weeks and this song came out of it and this is a song about just redeeming powers of love you know and it's it's about infatuation and looking for something bigger than yourself in someone else it would be wonderful to hear it in this spectacular setting yeah yeah, I'm going to sit a little bit away from the cliff edge there. Yes, please do. Perhaps I'd rather be alone Seeing my friends and loved ones Just a moment at a time In some wild abandoned world my own Nothing to do but Think of us becoming my life I'm getting fat and old The powers that be have killed me The that used to hold And my love is growing cold 
Cause it says and I believe it Even if I'm crumbling I can cope Oh, and I ain't coming down To this hole I call a hole Take out your grass, baby Bless my soul Come on and lift me up Little place on high Shake out your grass, baby Save my life Hindsight shone the wonder across my eyes I see the roads down where track Live a dozen lives Tell myself what little life I could have made it work I just need a little time This hole I call a home Take off your dress, babe Bless my soul Come on and lift me up Little place on high Shake off your dress, babe Save my life John, that was fantastic and really moving. You saying that to me, it's one of the lovely things about doing this, you know, getting that sort of feedback. One guy came up to me and told me that he'd been in a hotel room in New York, ready to top himself, and that song came on a radio, and then he didn't top himself. Wow. I know. And so you he, saved somebody's life through music. Isn't that mad? Through a song called Save My Life. He told me that. <laughs> it blew my head clean off. That's extraordinary. So it's... Very powerful. You can never be responsible for how people are going to interpret your songs. You know. Well, thank you so much for sharing your music with us and for bringing us to such a special place. It's been a joy. It's a privilege for me, man. Thank you for having me. John Smith in Brixham. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow us to make sure you get all our episodes as soon as they're launched. And please rate and review us so others can find us. 
If you'd like to make a small monthly donation to help us produce more wonderful episodes, you can become a patron by going to folkonfoot.com and clicking on Support Us. We'd really appreciate it if you did. There are five other episodes in Season 3 of Folk on Foot, featuring the Unthanks on the Northumberland coast, the Lost Words Spell Songs with Jackie Morris and Beth Porter in Pembrokeshire, Martin Simpson in Scunthorpe, Lisa Knapp in Tooting, and Duncan Chisholm at Sandwood Bay. 